Well, as Pastor Phil said, we're in the middle of what we're calling Mission 27. We understand it's 2023. The 27 isn't representing the year. It's representing the 27 books of the New Testament. So this is Mission 27. We're spending this year going through a survey of the New Testament. Um, here's the discipleship process that we're all engaging in. Amen? We're all engaging in this process, right? This is what we're doing as a church family. We're doing this together. I know God is going to really bless us as we continue uh, and, and persevere and finish strong in this. The process is this. Number one is we're listening to the Sunday sermon, not just so that you hear my voice, but so that we kind of get that, that backdrop of the particular book that we are reading through that week. So we're getting context. So we're, we're getting a jump start into what God wants to do and where he wants to take us in and through his word. And it's, we're, we're trying to not have this just be some cursory kind of um, grade school le level overview every week. We want God to really take us deeper as we dive into his word. So step number one is we are, we're listening to the sermon. We're, we're getting that springboard every single week into God's word. Step number two, the one that every one of us has to do, and that is we got to read that particular book of the Bible. Read the word. And what I'm asking is, is that you read it through at least one time each week, all the way through in one sitting. That's the preferred way. And I know it, it can't always work, but often it can, especially as we get into books that are only going to take you 15, 20 minutes to read through. Cover to cover that particular book. Get the full context and meaning and flavor and, and passion and message from the writer, ultimately from the Holy Spirit of what he wants to say. The third thing in our process is answer those weekly questions. That's just going to help you really dive in and make sure that you're, you're getting hold of what the Holy Spirit is putting down for us to grab hold of. And the fourth thing is process together by attending a life group with others. And I've, I've heard so many testimonies already, and just the feedback that I'm getting is that this is rich and this is is working. God's word will not return void. It will do its work in our lives when we get into it. So my question now is this. Did you all bring your animals and your birds this morning? I mean, did you bring your animals and your birds so that we could do some sacrificing here this morning? Did, did you do that? Uh, you're laughing, and I'm glad you're laughing. I'm glad nobody's, anyway, anyway, getting there cats and dogs out and everything right now. That would be really awkward. It would be really gross and kind of messy. Uh, you don't have to bring your animals and your birds to church. The reason is this. is Hebrews 10.10 says, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus is better. Jesus paid it all and all to him and him alone we owe. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. amen. So y'all were kind of chuckling when I talked about bringing the animals back into the whole sacrifice thing. But back in the day, 65 A.D., the church in Rome, half of the church was going back. In the midst of persecution by Nero, believers were going back to the synagogue. They were going back to the old sacrifices. 
and they were running away from Jesus in the process. Can't have it both ways. We're either with Jesus or, or, or we're, we're with something else. We're either trusting Jesus or we're trusting something or someone else. So the letter of Hebrews was written to these Christians, these Jewish Christians in Rome, pleading with them, don't go back. Remember that from last week? Don't go back. Don't go back to the synagogue. Don't go back to the old sacrifices and the old covenant because Jesus has fulfilled all of that and Jesus is better. All right, say that with me. Jesus is better. Amen. How many of you circled that in your Bibles every time you saw that? Jesus is better. He's superior. He's greater. One of the main messages, the main themes of the book of Hebrews is for us to remember that. Because I'm telling you what, even today, we can start to forget that. We can tend to forget that Jesus is better. Never forget that Jesus is better. Now, there's a lot of things in the Old Testament that are no longer needed, like animal sacrifices. Another amen on that, right? Amen. A lot of things, because why? They've been fulfilled in Christ. But there are other things from the Old Testament that carry right through into the New Testament and even with us today. So in Hebrews chapter 11, you want to turn there right now. In Hebrews chapter 11, we begin to discover the thing that must remain, that continues through the Old Testament, the New Testament, and right up to today in the life of a believer. And that's faith remains. Faith was necessary in the Old Testament. Faith was necessary in the early church as we read in the New Testament. Faith is necessary for every single one of us right here, right now, today. So the writer of Hebrews provides an amazing list of examples in the Old Testament of what faith looks like. And he speaks to the early church, the writer of Hebrews, saying, this is a kind of faith that God uses and that God is still looking for. And so he starts to go through these heroes of faith, this hall of faith, as it is often called in Hebrews 11. And it starts with three guys. It starts with Abel, Enoch, and Noah, and their faith. And then it goes to three other guys, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and speaks of their faith. Side note here, isn't it amazing that God has chosen to attach his name forever with three men? As he describes himself, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's just kind of extra credit. Side note, kind of like, wow, God, you are amazing. You're unique. That's incredible. Anyway, these guys, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, men of faith. And as, as we read through chapter 11, we notice that the faith of these men and women wasn't demonstrated by what they believed. It wasn't demonstrated because they said a prayer at one time in their lives. Rather, their faith was evident, it was powerful, 
and it was mentioned because of what they did. You're like, whoa, where are we going with this? Dude, I'm just in the Bible, all right? So let's just look at this. Look at this. By faith, Noah built an ark. Demonstrated faith by what he did. Look, as, as we read about faith in the Bible, we quickly, quickly understand faith isn't just a, a happy thought. It's not something that's just up in your head. Some kind of thought process that you've adopted about God. No, faith is so significant that it may start up here and it may start and move here. But real faith is always made evident by action, by how we live life, by how we talk, by how we treat others. And we see that right here in the heroes of the faith. I mean, it's so obvious what God is trying to tell us. Real faith, you can see it. You can see it. You know it. It's obvious. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham left his fancy, very comfortable home, and he went and lived in a tent, going to the land that the Lord was calling him to go to. By faith, Rahab hid the spies, and yes, women of faith, and she was also a Gentile. Faith. The list of action-filled faith goes on and on, on and on. And then it says this, that all these, all these heroes of faith that God has chosen to forever give to us as examples of what faith looks like, all of them were still living by faith when they died. They were still dedicated to the Lord all the way through to the end. Their faith remained even through some pretty horrific situations. But brother, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm dealing with. I'm telling you what, I probably don't. Just as a side note as a pastor, I just want to say this. That there are people most people around you, that you have no clue what they're dealing with in life. And we so quickly jump to judgment. I want to just urge you, don't do that. You don't understand. Life is hard. And maybe you do understand that right now. But life is hard. And people are dealing with a lot. And when you see something going kind of squirrely in somebody's life and, and your tendency is to want to judge them, don't go there. Pray for them. They're probably wrestling with something pretty heavy right now. This is what a lot of these folks in Hebrews were dealing with. In Hebrews 11, beginning of verse 36, some of them faced jeers and flogging even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. I don't know, but that's a bad day right there. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. 
They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. But here's the deal again. The whole time they remained walking by faith, their eyes fixed on God, trusting Him, walking with God through all of this junk still dedicated to the Lord. And then think about this, though. This is Old Testament. This is before Jesus put on flesh, came down, walked on this earth. This is before the Sermon on the Mount. This is before the cross, before it is finished. This is before the resurrection, victory over sin and death. This is before all of this. See, these folks, they had so little to work with, yet they are the ones that are held up in God's Word as here's what faith looks like. These folks that were still living by faith all the way to the end, they didn't have any of the revelation that we have in Christ. They didn't have that. They didn't have the grace, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit like we have. They didn't have the finished work of Jesus, yet they didn't go back. They remained. They continued. They kept on believing. And this is the point the writer of Hebrews is is trying to make to the church here as they're tempted to go back. He's like, look, there's people that have gone before you that have gone through a whole lot, that have dealt with, with some pretty bad stuff. And their answer wasn't to walk away from God. Their answer was to keep walking with God. That's how they made it through. That's how we make it through. We don't walk away. Man, we lean in even closer to Him. And here's the deal about these heroes of faith. Now they're watching us. I know that because Scripture right here in Hebrews says that, right? First first words of of chapter 12 are, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, just a little side note. Somebody's like, well, what's this great cloud of witnesses? Some people are like, well, it's everybody who's gone before us and all of my loved ones who've died in Christ and they're the witnesses. I don't know about that. I do know this. We can say it is these people that were just mentioned in Hebrews 11. I believe that, that we'll just stay there with, with what Scripture is saying. These, this right here is the great cloud of witnesses, these heroes of the faith that are what they are watching us. They are witnesses, it says. And, and I look at it this way. They've run this amazing race of faith. But it's a relay race. It's not just their race. It's a relay race. And as you read Hebrews, you understand that. That now they're watching us and they're waiting us, waiting for us to finish the race because they're wait, still waiting for what they had hoped for in faith. So they've handed you and me, they've handed us the church right here, right now today, the baton. And it's our leg of the race to run. The race of faith. 
And I don't know about you, but I, but I think about these brothers and sisters who've gone before me. I, I don't want to be the one who's like, you know that one, they often run the third leg of the race, and they're always like the slowest runner, and, and you get a big old lead, and then it's like that guy gets in the race, and he grabs a baton, and it's like, there goes our lead. I don't want to be that dude. I don't want to be that guy in the race. And I definitely don't want to be that one who, who, who drops the baton. I never want that to be said about me and about us as the church today. Because we're running this race with those who've gone before us. And we're going to be handing the baton to those after us. If Jesus tarries. So how we start with Jesus matters greatly. I mentioned that briefly last week. How do we start with Jesus? Scripture's clear. We start by grace through faith. That's how we start. But Hebrews clearly demonstrates to us that how we finish also matters greatly. Point number two, faith perseveres. And I want to go ahead and say this is a huge theme in the book of Hebrews. Perseverance. Faith perseveres. So we need to talk about this. We're going to go through some serious warnings. You're going to read some serious warnings this week as you dive back into Hebrews. But they're there because God loves us. Hope you all know that, right? Why do you tell your kids not to run out in the middle of the street when cars are flying by? Because you love them. Why, why, why does God warn us? To persevere because he loves us. He loves us so much he sent his only son to hang on a cross for us. He loves us. Remember what it said about the giants of the faith in chapter 11. It said all these people were still living by faith when they died. So living for God, the life of faith, was not just a one-time decision. As we read our Bibles... We understand that more and more. Being a person of faith, living by faith, is not a one-time decision. Even Jesus, he didn't tell us to go out and get decisions. He told us to go out and make disciples, those who would walk with him all the days of their life. Take up their cross daily and follow me. People who live by faith keep on believing even if they don't see. So the writer of Hebrews then makes this challenge to all believers in Hebrews 12.1. He says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So again, why did the writer of Hebrews make this challenge? Because there were a lot of Christians in the church in Rome in particular who were walking away who were deciding not to persevere, who were walking away from Jesus, who were rejecting faith in Christ alone. They were going back to the synagogue. And remember, the final thing that they had to do to go back to the synagogue to save their, their skin, right, to save themselves and their children, was to deny that Christ is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
And so we have five key warnings to believers in Hebrews. And I want to go through each one of these, and then you're going to get to go through these in much more detail and even in greater context this week as you journey once again through the book of Hebrews. So you ready for these five warnings? Oh, we love warnings, don't we? We do love warnings. Warning number one, the warning against drifting. This is in Hebrews chapter 2. So already just right close at the beginning of this book of Hebrews, in chapter 2, we have our first warning. It's the warning against drifting. Check it out, verse 1. We, now speaking of Christians... Let's be very clear. Who was this letter written to? We looked at this last week. This was written to Christians in Rome, specifically to the Jewish half of the church in Rome. These are born-again believers walking with Jesus. They've been saved by grace through faith. They've confessed. They've been baptized into Christ Jesus. This is not talking to or about unbelievers. All of these warnings that we're about to read are warnings to born again, walking with Jesus, baptized Christians. And it's important that we see that and understand that. So we must pay the most careful attention, it says in Hebrews 2.1. Therefore, to what we have heard, meaning the gospel, Why do we need to pay the most careful attention? So that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Side note, people wonder, why are the gifts of the Spirit, you know, so important, and why would we ever talk about those or want those around? Well, here we have it right here. God testified of this salvation that we have in Christ Jesus, Through these kinds of things. So, through neglect, we can easily drift away from our salvation in Christ. That's what Hebrews is telling the church. That's what God is saying and warning the church through the writer of Hebrews. It's through neglect we can easily drift away from our salvation in Christ. Look. My wife just planted a garden, and if she neglects her garden, what's going to happen? Yeah, the plants, the lettuce, the radishes, the carrots, cucumbers, all those things are going to die. There's going to be no crop if she neglects what she planted. Get overrun by weeds and all kinds of things. Dry up. If you neglect your marriage, it's going to suffer, and it could fail. And sadly, we see at least half of the marriages in this nation, and close to that many in the greater body of Christ that fail 
you neglect something, it's not going to go well. And that thing that you neglect probably is going to end up dying. Hebrews warns, if we neglect our salvation, it will suffer, and it could fail. Got really quiet in here. What's the solution? In Hebrews 2, the solution is pay the most careful attention to the things we've heard. Pay the most careful attention. That means going back to it. That means remembering it. That means reminding one another of what God has said right here in His Word. Pay the most careful attention. Warning number two is a warning against departing. We find that in Hebrews chapter 3. And it moves into chapter 4 as well. Warnings about departing. Verse 12 of chapter 3. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So again, brothers and sisters, these are fellow believers. Make sure that you don't have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But instead do this. Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. So the warning is, is through sin's deceitfulness, we can be hardened, hardened toward God. As we accept the things of this hard, harsh world, we become hard and harsh and hardened toward the Lord. And it affects our faith to the point of even causing us to depart from that very faith that we started with. The solution is to exhort one another daily and remain steadfast. This is one of the reasons it's important to be in community with other brothers and sisters. And it says daily here. This whole, I'm telling you, this whole notion of, well, yeah, I'm just part of the body of Christ and and. And But I never go to church, and I never fellowship with other believers. Oh, I have lunch with Christian friends here and there, but what do you talk about at lunch? Maybe you talk about deep things and, and all that, but we need to be in community with one another. God set us in community on purpose so that we could have each other's back, so that we could encourage each other to persevere, to remain, to remember what Christ has done for us to remember who we are and whose we are. We need to be reminded of those things. Warning number three. Y'all are like, come on, bring it on, Pastor. This is awesome. Anyway, it is good, and it's God's love for us. This is an amazing picture of how much God loves us. He warns us. He cares that much about us. Warning number three is a warning against depreciation. I'm calling it against depreciation, which is the opposite of appreciation. The warning against not appreciating. 
God, not appreciating what Christ has done. So this is a warning. I'm using all D's here. This is what we do as pastors, right? So it's a warning against depreciation. This is in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, beginning of verse 11. It goes all the way through the first six, seven, eight verses of chapter 6. So it is impossible, it says. I'm, I'm going to be in Hebrews 6, beginning of verse 4. It is impossible for those who've once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have then fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. A lack of appreciating God, a lack of appreciating what Christ has done for us, His blessings, His costly work on the cross, the salvation that we have, if we don't appreciate that and remember that, which is one reason why the Lord says take communion and do it often and do it to remember, to appreciate what I have done for you. If we don't appreciate that, the result is a falling away, a drifting away. And when that happens, we can get so far down that road to the point to which we're crucifying the Son of God all over again. The solution is we got to grasp, we got to appreciate what Christ has done for us. We have to remember it. I recommend, man, waking up in the morning and reminding yourself of what Christ has done for you and who you are in Christ. As Pastor Phil said, or I believe it was Tim that said this during worship, that you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. God, thank you that I'm a new creation in you. The old has passed away, the new has come. Thank you, God, for what you've done for me. Thank you, Jesus, for making me new. If we don't appreciate what Christ has done for us, we start falling and going down that slippery slope. And the end is not a good place to be. Let's go to warning number four. It's a warning against despising. And again, you all can get into these a lot deeper uh, throughout this next week. Despising. It's Hebrews 10, verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. There's a danger in being stubbornly unrepentant. See, there's a big difference between sinning, having the conviction from the Holy Spirit of that sin, and then having a sorrow for that sin, a godly sorrow for that sin, and asking God for forgiveness, and truly desiring and walking out of that time with the Lord with the intent of not going back in that sin. That's a lot different than a stubborn unrepentant heart that says, you know what? I know it's wrong, but it is what it is. It is who I am, and God's just got to deal with it. That, my brothers and sisters, is a dangerous place to be. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, 
No sacrifice for sins is left. I'm just reading what God's Word says. You know what, what's easy to do? What, what the tendency to do as a pastor is to go, man, this is the hard stuff. I'm going to let them just read this on their own, but I don't really want to talk about it because I just want to let them know that God loves you. And you know what? God does love you. Come on, that, that should be, a, if, you're, if you already are saved, you already know that. You already know that. That's a done deal, man. That, that's so deep in you, you know that. But this is the depth of God's love. That he would say, look, if you have a stubborn, unrepentant heart right now, I got to call that out. You, you got to know that that is a dangerous place for you to be. That's like, like, potentially eternally dangerous place for you to be. The solution to this is don't throw away your confidence in Christ and believe with endurance. The fifth warning is the warning against denying. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to jump to verse 25 here. The warning against denying, defying, sorry, defying. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. It's about hearing God, knowing what he's saying, but like, eh, I don't really kind of like where he's going with that. I'm going to kind of, la, 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 I don't hear you. I'm going to do my own thing, right? So see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, if you have conviction, if God is saying, don't go there, stop doing that. If he's stirring you up and saying, draw near to me. Don't ignore what God is saying. Don't refuse him who speaks. The solution, look diligently to the grace of God, receiving it in such a way so that we may serve him acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Again, all these warnings were to believers, born-again believers. Every single one of them. Because many were falling away. These warnings are given to believers in Rome at that time who were going down these roads. And many of them were going so far as to fully deny Christ. So I'm going to go there with this. Some of you might be wondering at this time, what about once saved, always saved? What about once saved, always saved? And that is a good question. I don't find that in the book of Hebrews. I really don't. And that might not be the answer everybody wants from me here at the pulpit. But I'm, I'm reading God's Word, and I want what God has to say, and I don't want to adopt, I'll just call it what it is, cute sayings that make me feel a certain way. I want to adopt what God's Word plainly and clearly says so that I can be confident and assured of who I am and where my standing is in Christ. 
That's what I want. And these warnings that we find in Hebrews are throughout the New Testament, not just in Hebrews. You'll find these same warnings, these same messages, even in the Gospels. Look to the Gospel of Matthew that we just went through. If you build your life on shifting sand, the fall won't be an easy one. It'll be a dramatic one. The Gospel of John, the importance of remaining in me so that you won't be cut off and burned. You go into Romans, you go into 1 Corinthians, you go to Colossians. Huge warnings in the, in the letter to the church in Colossae. Jude, virtually a whole short but very Very emotional letter regarding this, and even all the way into Revelation about he who overcomes, speaking to the churches, the seven churches of Revelation that we read about, written to the churches, and at the end of each one, he who overcomes, he who overcomes. And in that, I just say, praise God that we can overcome in Christ Jesus. I'm gonna, let's just be very clear about this. Did you save yourself? No. Do you think you can keep yourself saved? No. No. All right. I want you to notice this too. None of these warnings, as you read through this week, Hebrews again, none of these warnings are about God leaving or forsaking us. Because God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, and He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will never give up on you. He will remain faithful. None of these warnings are because God may leave you or forsake you. All of these warnings are that you don't leave Him or forsake Him. That's all. That's what it is. But Hebrews here gives us a clue of how this falling away happens. It really happens in two stages. So let's look at this. It starts with neglecting and drifting. You saw those initial warnings, that first warning of drifting, right? It starts with neglecting and drifting. It's often called backsliding. How many of you heard of backsliding? Right? How many of you are backsliding? Whoa, everybody gets their hand down. <laughs> Woo, wait a minute. All right. So it starts with neglecting and drifting with backsliding, but then... If that continues on, it can lead to denying, and this is where it can ultimately go into apostasy. So it's like it, it's two phases, it's two stages that we find in Hebrews. I used to ride quads, and one of my favorite things when I used to ride quads, this is back in the day, one of the most exhilarating things was I used to love climbing steep hills. I mean, that was just fun, right? It was kind of scary, a little adventurous, and I was younger, and I hadn't felt as much pain as I feel today in my life. And, um, but I had to be careful. When you climb up a hill on a quad, especially, you've got to be really careful because if you lose your momentum, what happens? Dave, you know this. If you lose your momentum, what happens? You start to slide backwards. You start to 
backslide, don't you? That's what happens. And you have a window of opportunity. If you, you lose your momentum and you start to backslide, you have a window of opportunity to correct it. You either need to lean into that thing and give it some more gas and get that upward momentum going and forward momentum going again, or you better quickly turn out of that so that you don't keep going down all the way to the bottom and crash. Well, one time, I didn't get out of the backsliding fast enough, and I went down. The back wheel hit the side of the mountain. The quad came. It was a, it was a 650cc quad, a big monster of a quad, rolled over on top of me. The handlebars literally broke on my leg. I still have a bruise on my leg from that accident. It was probably 17, 18 years ago. It starts with backsliding, with losing your forward momentum. And we have a time when we can correct that. And it's not us correcting it. It's just it's us realizing, God, we need you. Because no forward momentum, none of that's anything from us. It was mentioned earlier, too, in worship. Our, our works are filthy rags, right? We got nothing to offer in our own strength. We can't save ourselves. We can't keep ourselves safe. We can't keep ourselves going up the mountain. Spiritual backsliding is dangerous. And if you're in that phase in life right now, you've lost your momentum. That's what's going on. But you can still turn it around. You can still turn it around. I believe if you're hearing this message right now, and if you get in the book of Hebrews, it's because God's saying, turn it around. You can turn it around. Turn to me. That's how we turn it around. Turn to me. Turn to me. However, there's a point at which we've gone too far and the results become catastrophic. For these Jewish believers, too far was standing in the synagogue and denying that Jesus is the Messiah, publicly denying their need for Jesus as a Savior. So I just want to be clear. You know, I'm, I don't want anybody thinking, well, shoot, man. I've had this sin, I fell back in it, I've been back in this sin for the last couple months, and, and man, I've probably gone too far, and I've crashed and burned, and let's look at context here. The writer of Hebrews is writing to people who have actually publicly denied Christ as the Messiah, and denied their need for Him for salvation, and have gone back to something else to save them. Because the last thing God wants his children doing is going to bed at night wondering, am I saved? I don't know. Did I do enough good today? Did I do too much bad today? Oh, no. Don't, don't go there. Don't go there. That's not, that's not who the audience is. And that's not the situation that the writer of Hebrews is writing to. So, again, this is important how we understand context and who he's writing to and where these believers were going. So that we can understand how to apply the warnings in our life and maybe where we are. Maybe some of you have family members. You're like, man, they're not going to church. They're not following the Lord. Their faith is on the rocks and all of that kind of stuff. Don't give up believing. They're, they're backsliding. They're backsliding. But God is, 
he's able to get somebody out of a backslide just as easy as he's able to save somebody from eternal damnation from sin in the first place. You know what I'm saying? God is able. And he cares, and he wants to, and he desires that none would perish. None. None. And he doesn't love us any less because we, we believed at one point and walked in faith at one point, but now we're struggling and we're backsliding. And all that. He, he doesn't love us any less. His grace isn't any less powerful or any less sufficient for us. Okay? Get the, get the big picture on this? All right, all right. It's an intense message today because God loves us. He does. He loves us. And He doesn't want us to, to backslide and to drift and to fall and to. He doesn't want us to let go of what we've already grabbed hold of, and that is his work and his gift. He doesn't want that. And so he gives us these warnings. It's his love for us. When I was in grade school, the neighborhood friend of mine, Sean, was he just kind of pushed things a little bit too far one winter day when we were out playing, and uh, he drifted. I'm using that term purposely. He drifted too far out on some thin ice and he broke through he was drowning in the cold icy water and he didn't heed the warnings and he found himself in a bad situation and he needed help so I extended a, a long stick to help him and he could have continued to just flail in, in the situation that he found himself in, that he got himself in because he was drifting into an area where he shouldn't have been, and he fell through, and it was going from bad to worse really fast. But somebody extended him help. Even though he was stupid, Somebody reached out to help him, and he grabbed hold of that stick, and I pulled him out of the icy water, took him back to my house, and took a, took a bath, and, and, and oh man, it was, he was screaming because he just, anyway, it was, it was horrible. This is how God is with us. We're drifting, we're being stupid even. We're being rebellious, and we fall through the ice. He's extending a stick. He's extending help to us. And it's also why we need to be in community with one another, because sometimes we get out on the thin ice, and hopefully a brother or sister in the Lord can say, hey, you're out on thin ice. Let's come back before you fall through. But even if you do fall through, we're still there for one another to pull each other out to bring each other back to that place of safety and community with each other, but most important, that place of faith in Christ, in Christ alone. Again, God doesn't want us going to bed tonight questioning our salvation. 
He wants us to go to bed tonight with an assurance of our salvation. That's what His desire is for us. That's what He went to the cross for. So that you would have assurance that not through your own work or because you just got lucky or something like that that you were going to be saved and not go to hell. But no, because of His work, you have an assurance that you are saved, that you are His. That's God's heart for you. It says in Romans 8, 16, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Isn't that beautiful? We have a present assurance that we are saved. I can tell you right now, I'm saved. I know I'm saved because Jesus is my Lord and Savior. He is the one who paid the price for me. He's the one who took upon himself my sins. I know I'm saved because of what he has done. I believe by his grace, by his power, by his work, I'm saved. Have I done some stupid things even in the last week? I have some things I've, I, I'm, I wish I hadn't done, some things I wish I had done that I didn't do. Sure. But I'm laying my head on my pillow tonight knowing that I am His and that I'm saved. And tomorrow I'm going to get up and follow Jesus. Because like the song says, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I've got a baton that those heroes of faith, those, those witnesses in the clouds have handed to me. And I'm going to run with confidence, not in my own strength, but in Christ Jesus. And I'm not running this race alone. I've got you all with me. My brothers and sisters in Christ who are running alongside of me, who are giving me a kick in the butt when I need it, who I'm reaching back and grabbing and pulling along with me sometimes. We're in this together. We're running this race together. Not in fear of damnation, but in the joy and the hope of salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus. This is how we can live now. This is how God wants us to live. I just feel compelled. If you have loved ones who are backsliding right now, pray for them. Keep praying for them. Keep praying for them. Ask God to move in their lives. Ask God to show up in supernatural ways. Pray for them. The Holy Spirit gives you something to speak into and over their lives. Speak it. But I want to say, be led by the Holy Spirit. Maybe run it by some trusted brothers and sisters. You know what I'm saying? Because sometimes we can mean the best, but we can say some things that maybe aren't going to help. We need to be speaking God's words, like His rhema words and His logos words, the proper word at the right time in the right way. Another good reason to be in fellowship with one another is to share your burdens.
for your loved ones with one another, to walk with each other through this process and trust God. I have a grandfather. I had a grandfather. I still do. He's in heaven now. Six months before he passed away, he would deny Christ all the years of his life until the day that he didn't. He was not only backslidden, he was lost all the days of his life until the day that he wasn't. Until the day that he realized his need for a Savior, that he wasn't good enough. And there were some visiting angels, his caretakers, they were called visiting angels. That's how funny and awesome God is. Who came alongside of him and had been caring for him for over a year. And in the process, were sharing Jesus with him. Now, he'd heard that message from family members before, but sometimes family members just don't want to hear from us anymore. It is what it is. God desires that none would perish. He is for us, never against us. He loves you. He loves your loved ones. Let's stand. God, we thank you that your grace and by your divine power, God, you've given us all we need for life and godliness. God, we thank you that, that you would call us your own. God, I thank you that you put up with us, that you never leave us nor forsake us. God, even in our rebellion, just as that the father of the prodigal son, such a beautiful picture, you're waiting, longing for us to turn back to you. God, you're so good. So good. And Lord, I thank you that you are able to keep us. Lord, I ask that if there are any of us here that need to hear these warnings, God, that we would hear them as your children, hearing them from our loving Father, that we would heed these warnings, that we would turn out of this backsliding and back to you, that we would grab hold of by faith what you've already grabbed hold of for us. God, you're so good. You're the restorer of the breach. God, have your way in our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I want to invite the ministers to come forward. And we prayed for healing today, but if you didn't come up, prayer for healing, and you're just ready now, we got brothers and sisters in Christ who want to pray with you and for you. If you walked in here with other burdens that you're carrying, and maybe it's a burden that you have a loved one that, that you just have a, a serious burden for, come up and share that with one of these prayer ministers. Let them pray with you. 
Let, let God speak to you even through them about what it is that you're carrying and dealing with right now with your loved ones. Whatever your need, don't walk out of here carrying it on your own. You can't. But somebody here can carry that burden, can release you of that burden. Kevin. I'm not going to let you know what book we're reading next week, Kevin. We're reading Hebrews again this week. I can't give it all away. And I want to say this. If you walked in this room today and maybe even stirred up because of this message today in a way to where you don't feel as though you have an assurance of your salvation, I'm going to plead with you right now, don't walk out of this room without talking to one of these prayer ministers up front. Because there is no need for you to walk out of here confused about your salvation. There is no need for that. God doesn't want that. He wants you to know that you are His. So if that's you today, I'm pleading with you, don't walk out. Share that with one of these prayer ministers up here. They're going to pray with you. You're going to connect with the Lord, reconnect with God, whatever it may be. And you're going to walk out of here the happiest man or woman, happiest teenager, happiest kid ever in the history of the world. You're going to to have an assurance of who you are in Christ Jesus. Amen?